Absolutely. You could be sitting in the Hall of Fame and the world will know your name. It's the script in Will I Am with that amazing song that sets off a Thursday afternoon. A very good cause. Yep. This is Personality Profile on Joy 99.7 FM. I'm Lexus Bill. I look forward to these evenings where we can sit down, relax, you know, and uh, have a good conversation with people who are doing amazing things in Ghana. And this evening, I have one such great personality in the studio that we'll be talking to. Yeah, but before I introduce you to this wonderful person, I'd want you to check out our live video on our Facebook page. The conversation is live on Facebook, so you can actually go check it out and share the leg with your friends and family. You can call a friend to call a friend to tell a friend to tune in to Joy 99.7 FM or log on to myjoyonline.com so they can join in as well. Yeah, we've taken our seat now. So I'll tell you, I'm spending time with a very hard-working woman. Yep. A woman who, a very industrious one, who has actually worked hard to build a very solid brand in the dental industry in Ghana. She's a woman I can easily refer to as a global citizen. And you get to understand why. Because, look, she's lived all over the world and uh, settled back home in Ghana. I don't know whether it's because of that plan or the, you know, Ademe. But she's back home and she's etched a path in dentistry and orthodontics, an enviable one here in Ghana. From being an honorary clinical lecturer on the postgraduate orthodontic program at both Birmingham and Manchester Dental Schools to being awarded UK's Aesthetic Dentistry Orthodontic Smile Award in 2009, she has actually been through the mail. Lectured in places as near as Nigeria and as far as Oman in the Middle East, India, France, Morocco. She has about 12 publications in peer-reviewed journals. She returned permanently to Ghana somewhere in 2013 to run her own practice, Platinum Orthodontic and Dental Services. In fact, she was listed as one of Ghana's most outstanding women entrepreneurs in November of 2017. And in 2023 as well, she was selected as one of the 50 most influential women impacting society by the Business Executive Network. You have probably heard her a few times on Notidious Ultimate Health here on Joy FM uh, talking about how uh, you and I can have a long-lasting smile. <laughs> well, tonight I spent time with consultant, orthodontist and CEO of Platinum Dental, Dr. Novishi Akritu. Welcome, Doc. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm really, really good. For someone who makes people smile, you have a beautiful smile hey, too. Thank Girl. you. <laughs> I'm selling my profession. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you do that with all 32. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I, I, I'm looking at the picture at the back. I'm like, you You certainly need to be on a billboard for a, a dental, you know, something. Not just platinum, but... Like what, president? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A close-up or something? <laughs> you have to work that smile. Yes, but hey, thank you so much for all that you do for the many people. I'm sure it makes you smile as well when you, you see your clients smile wide, eh? Yeah, you know, it's 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 very, very transformative. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think especially when you work with teenagers. Oh, okay. And they start off shy and recalcitrant mm. and then you just watch them bloom. Yeah. You know, and, and it's it, it, it really has a good feeling about it because you can tell that it's going to shape their actual future mm. in the long term because they are confident. Yeah. They are they're actually buoyant and they are now using all the muscles in their face yeah. to, to um, communicate. So, yeah, very, very It's special. interesting you mentioned teenagers. Why not the older people? So, you know, 
I often laugh that dentistry is the only thing that people send their children first. <laughs> so you always find the child and the teenager in your chair first. Yeah. And it's only when they survive that the parents <laughs> then come. Really, really odd. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Always, always. But why is that so why the parents are scared? I think that's I think that dentistry has changed so much. Mm. So you and I's experience of dentistry is very, very different to mm. what the younger ones are actually experiencing. Right. But also in terms of investments, we all tend to invest in our children first. Right. And then when they see that it wasn't that bad mm -hmm. and they get comfortable in the environment, then they also take the leap. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, um, hitherto, mm -hmm. people would go to see the dentist when there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Probably they have some caca mm -hmm. or they've got some toothache or something, mm -hmm. or some, mm -hmm. they're getting some bad gum pain or something of the sort. But nowadays, people are doing all sorts of, you know, aesthetics with, with, with the dentists. Yeah. So I, I think that I've been back for 10 years mm. and Ghana has had a remarkable change mm. in the perception of dentistry. Mm. And I'm so hopeful that the rate of change is going to continue. Mm. But I think that the like really important thing is that whether it's dentistry, whether it's health, we really need to get into the mindset of prevention is better than cure. Right. So keeping up the checkups, et cetera, allows us to pick up things. But yes, Africa is interesting because sometimes we just leapfrog things. And that's happened with aesthetic dentistry. Okay. Where now a lot of clients are actually seeking dental work just for aesthetic reasons uh, you know right. um whether it's whitening I, I i i say that whitening is the most requested is um, it? you know procedure in dentistry in ghana okay. um to braces to um, veneers etc and so we are becoming so aware of mm. what's actually possible mm -hmm. and how that can influence our lives our careers and our, our overall well-being. Right. I'm sure many of your clients are listening right now. Uh, many of the people you've put smiles on their faces <laughs> and they are smiling like, oh, that's my dog. Yeah. <laughs> well, today they get to know about your journey uh, throughout the world. Mm -hmm. um, you're a Ghanaian, but you're probably just like 20%. <laughs> There's some other 20% that I learned is in Zimbabwe. <laughs> There's some word in the UK. There's uh. some in France, wherever. Oh my goodness. You have a like okay. So where are you from? Tell us a bit about where you're from, where you were born. Show I us. am hundred percent Ghanaian. <laughs> okay. Born in Kolebu. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to parents who were both doctors at Kolebu. Oh wow. So I started off living in the doctors, you know, accommodation yeah. in Kolebu went to the little nursery that every doctor's child went to and then started off at Rich Church. Ah. So I definitely did class one and class two in Rich Church. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I left Ghana. That's when you decided to start your sojourn. <laughs> eh? <laughs> yes. And um, I would say traveled around Africa a lot. I think it's really, really interesting because if you said, so who are you? I am such a Pan-Africanist, mm. you know, I, I, I believe that Africa is a sleeping giant mm. and we are still just wiggling our big toe. Mm. And when we decide and when that giant decides to sit up and act, 
then the rest of the world will actually wake up and realize the potential that is Africa. Absolutely. So, yes, I spent some time in Kenya, Zimbabwe. Um, I did a lot of my um, schooling in Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe? Yes. So that's the first place you went to after Ghana? So after Ghana, I actually went to Kenya. Kenya, okay. For a very, very brief period of time. Then to England. Okay. North of England. And then came back to Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe, I spent a good five to six years. What was taking you around? I mean, what, why were you moving around with your, with your parents? Yes. Right? So uh, my dad at some stage transitioned from being an associate professor in obstetrics and gynecology to working with WHO mm. and then United Nations Development Program, UNDP. Yeah. So we're now living the diplomat lifestyle where okay. every two to three years, you're probably stationed, yeah. you know, in, Somewhere else. in yes. In, in another country. But I think that there was a very, very solid ground in, in that every other Christmas, you came back to Ghana. So, okay. yes. Yeah. So, we were those people who come and cause traffic <laughs> <laughs> in Ghana around, around, around Christmas time. Um, so, yes. So, a, a lot of experiences, a lot of different countries. Mm. And what I would say to anybody who has the uh, ability to is that traveling is so important mm. because it widens your perspective. It Absolutely. lets you at a very, very early stage decide who you are mm. and what you stand for, you know. And very, very early on, I got the mindset of the fact that whatever situation I found myself in, you had to, number one, look for opportunities. Mm -hmm. Then number two, you had to take the best out of every situation you find in and leave the rest okay so take the best and leave the rest yeah. you know you, you don't have to drag negativity from one thing to another that's a very important lesson there mm. yeah mm. so you spent more years in zimbabwe than any other african country you were stationed in right yes yes yeah. and the reason for that is that the education system and in that era, in the 80s, you know, Zimbabwe had just gone through independence and it was, it had a very, very good, you know, a, a, you know very, very good education yeah. system. There we had all the white, you know, Rhodesians, mm -hmm. you know, at that stage who were still within the country. Okay, okay. Um, so a decision was made that we should stay and complete our education there whilst mum and dad moved on to, you know, other other stations. I chanced on a picture of you in <laughs> one of your uh, year groups in Zimbabwe. Uh -huh. And it didn't look like Zimbabwe. It actually looked yeah. like somewhere in the... <laughs> Uh, in Europe or whatever it is, because you were in a class with, what, probably 80, 90% of the students being white people? Yes. So really, really interesting. Yes. I think in a whole school year, you know, there were probably about 100 and there would be less than six black people. Wow. Yes. And this is in Zimbabwe. And this is in Zimbabwe. In Africa. In Africa. Wow. Yeah. So it was, it, yes. It was odd in that way. And even a lot of the black people there at that stage did not come from Zimbabwe. Mm, so I was like in the you. same, yes, and I was in the same year as President Mbeki of South Africa's child, okay. etc. Um, so, yes, um, very But did very you understand strange. the race dynamics at the time? Do you know what? 
I didn't. But again, I didn't because I distinctly remember, I distinctly remember what at that stage I felt was not a right, you know, um, incident happening. And I went home and I was like, I think that somebody is being racist. And I remember my mom looking at me and saying to me, but how do you know that they, that it's just you that they don't like? Mm. Why, you know, so interestingly, and because there were so few black people, you didn't think that it was racism. Mm -hmm. You assumed that it was a personal attribute. Right. But that incident really helped me in life because what it taught me is that in any situation, you need to first examine whether it's an internal source or whether the problem is you before you look for external and wider problems and things to actually blame it on. So, no, we, I, I actually did not know any different. Mm. Um, and it was, it was, it was great. Why, why did it have so many white people and a few, only a few black students? So, I think that um, it was... You have to remember that Zimbabwe had just gone through, you know, independence. So Zimbabwe, you know, would not have had independence for about three to four years. So I'm sure affordability was quite a big thing. Mm. And, the, and the general mixing at that stage just did not occur. So what was really interesting is that the year after me and two years after me, there was definite affirmative action. Okay. So that by the second year after us, it was like 30%, okay. you know, yeah. Zimbabweans who were now coming into yeah. that um, school system. Did that, did that whole setup introduce you to uh, more like the real world of racism where may, maybe later in life it will help you or probably get you to understand the whole dynamics a lot better? Racism, bizarrely for me, especially because I spent so long in, in, in the um, UK as well, it's not something that I experience, mm. you know? So it may have been happening around me, but I did not experience it as, you know, yeah. actual racism. Right. And it had no effect on me. Okay. So I, in, in that way, I grew up in a world that really, oddly enough, did not have color. Mm. So whether I was staying with a totally Jewish family, and there were eight of them and me. I didn't experience any difference. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 it had no bearing on me at all. Okay, let's talk about the fact that your parents were both medical professionals. Okay. As a young person, what career path did you want to chart? You know, my parents did not push medicine. If anything, they pushed us slightly away. What I do definitely remember is that my dad was very, very advanced in terms of how he thought. And the one thing he would go on and on and on about was environmental health. Okay. He really, really, and environmental science, he really, really felt that, you know, greenhouse effect and what yeah. was going to happen um, and, and dealing with that thing was, was going to be crucial in the future. Mm. So I, I definitely remember being, you know, all, all of us, him trying to steer us towards <laughs> that. Um, but the other thing that was almost like a must was French. 
Oh. My parents were obsessed with us being able to, you know, yeah. speak French and, and giving us that actual opportunity. Oh, tu peux faire ça? Ah, un petit peu. Ouais. C'est pas génial. Oh, ouais. Okay. <laughs> At least a little to turn around. Yes, a little, a little. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Okay, so what? Uh, at what point did you leave Zimbabwe and where next? So I basically completed my equivalent, my my O levels in Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe. And then I transferred to London mm. um, to do my A levels. Okay. Yeah. And that transition was also extremely interesting because. Tell me about it. Up until then, I had been in pretty much girls' schools. Okay. Then I went to Mill Hill in um, North London, which was a boys' school. A boys' school? That was now taking girls in the sit form. Oh, no. Don't tell me you're <laughs> going to be the minority again. <laughs> so there were literally about eight girls and like 800 boys. Oh, wow. <laughs> in, this, in this, you know, high school. How, yeah. how was that experience, though? I mean, how did you mix with the boys? We well, did you even the, mix with them? <laughs> we thought that the boys would give us so much attention. They hated us. <laughs> they hated us. Well, you guys were us. thinking about your space now. Exactly. Oh, and dear. and these were boys, some of whom had been together since like age four. Yeah. And they had figured out all their rankings. Yeah. And then we were the outsiders who were coming in and trying to disturb things, etc. <laughs> so no, no, no. We we were not popular. I see. So, yeah. But did that dynamic as well teach you anything? Um, it definitely did, because again, there was a real international feel, you mm. know, about it. Um, it was a school that focused a lot on sports. So because it got dark early, you would actually finish school around one and then do sports until four mm. and then go back to classes. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it was... It, it was all that way, um, but mainly it was one of these schools that really focused on getting you into Oxford, Cambridge, you okay. know, Ivy League, yeah. um, you know, et, you know, etc. And actually, I'm still great friends with with quite a few people from there. So this moving around thing uh, is very much on like what a lot of us experienced because would normally have our schooling from primary or you know basic level through to secondary school in one geographical location you're having a mix of so many different places would you say that helped or hurt do you know what the one thing i'm very very jealous of is the alumni network in ghana yeah and i'm like <laughs> i would have been a gay girl i would have been a mobile person <laughs> I yeah. so i i i find the whole importance of the alumni yeah. thing in, in ghana very, very 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 deep and interesting i loved it mm. i loved it i think that um as as you got into your um later teen years and you were now forming, you know, relationships and friendships that you were very, very aware of the fact that you may move. Yeah. And you may move and you may move. But for me, hugely positive, mm. hugely positive. And even up to now, I just get the itch to travel and experience new places. Wow. But when I go to anywhere new, I don't even like doing the touristy things. I, 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 I want to move into the home of somebody who's living there okay. to get yeah. the real cultural experience yeah. of that actual place. Oh, that's nice. 
Well, if you're just joining us, this is Personality Profile on Joy 99.7 FM. Today, I'm having a conversation with the CEO of Platinum Dental, Dr. Novishi Akutu, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Novishi, uh, you were telling me it means what? Unity? Unity, yes. Yeah. So, unity is, is, is strength. Unity is strength, yes. yes. And there's, there's Novishi. So it should be the same name, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so sort of. I think that it derives from the Ewe name, Novisi. Novisi. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, there you go. You can WhatsApp us on 055-1111-997. Okay. So now you've done most part of your schooling. There's mm-hmm. a decision to choose a career. Uh, dentistry. At what point did that come in and what made you decide to go into dentistry? Yeah. So hard, hard, hard decision. Um I had the most bizarre application because I was applying for English and drama at the same time as SM Dentistry, etc. I have to say in the end, it came down to wanting a profession. And it came down to being perhaps a bit astute about and having moved around. I wanted a profession that guaranteed a certain level of income and assurity wherever you were in the world okay so at that stage i you know i I didn't know whether where i would i would be but Mm -hmm. i definitely wanted the assurance that wherever you are in the world you'll be guaranteed you know um so i think that there was that the second thing is that dentistry was really really pushed as a great occupation for females really yeah because the whole mindset is that you end up owning and running your own practice and you can decide whether to close at 3.30 and go and pick up kids and do home. Ah. And so, you know, and if you were, you know, pregnant, you could still work right up to eight and a half months, etc. So even even now, it's, it's really pushed as mm. a, a, a very desirable occupation for, for, um, for um, women. And also, to be honest, with the little I knew then, I felt that it was something that looked quite monotonous. Mm -hmm. And that if I could spend a lot of time and perfect it, I would be extremely good at it, Mm. but it would allow me to focus on other areas of my life. Mm, Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, you didn't know AI was coming, huh? Man, the last three years has been so interested in dentistry you know. with AI. Yeah, yeah you crazy. didn't know AI was just around the corner crazy. to go and, you know, shake everything up, huh? Yeah, yeah. How has it affected, you know, the whole the whole business of, well, we'll actually get there. You, it's okay. We'll get there. I would want us to have that conversation because mm-hmm. we'll look at the future of your profession as well mm-hmm. and what it means with all the innovations that we're seeing and all of that. Mm-hmm. But now you decided that, okay, this is a profession that would probably guarantee you a certain level of income and mm-hmm. a certain lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know about this, you know, gender dynamics of mm-hmm. dentistry, mm-hmm. like you're explaining it, but it's a very interesting one. So what, parents agreed that, okay, this is a way to go or what? Yes, I think um, my parents were very open and affable and, you know, you they would support most things. Mm. I think at some stage there was a talk about university could only be four years and dentistry is actually five years. So I remember having to go and negotiate that like fifth year. <laughs> uh, but yes, so it was go, do it. But always with my parents, two things. 
do it to the best of your ability. Okay. So this like need for excellence, do mm-hmm. it to the best of your ability. And then the second one, which sounds counterintuitive, is have fun. Okay. So those two were always the mantras where, you know, even if you were being dropped off at like airport, at the airport, work really, really hard. Also remember to have fun. Mm. So, yeah. So I went and did my negotiations and then I started. The whole have fun bit. How did you translate that into real life? I think have fun to me translated into experience different things. So don't get so caught up that you become unidimensional. Mm. So still go and experience different things, Mm. you know. Um, Don't spend all the time studying. Go and watch plays. Go and, you know, go and experience music. Yeah. Go and learn dancing. Go and... uh, So make sure that in a way you are experiencing life and living. Yeah, yeah. And now this is what probably 30 more than 30 years ago right yeah. in ghana it will be safe to say that probably dentistry wasn't as broad and as common as it is now so you'd say that it's a it was a very hot cake uh, where you were was it easy to just get into the world of work and how popular was dentistry so yes um I think that once you actually um, graduated, doctors and dentists could stay in the UK for like four years, etc. Um, and so you, there, there was a very, very clear pathway. You okay. know, so you were literally on a tram line mm. and you had to opt out. Okay. So, you know, from graduating, if you were an overseas international student, your only option was to go into hospital. The minute you went into hospital, everybody assumed that you wanted to specialize. Mm-hmm. So there was a very, very clear, you know, pathway. And you just found yourself going down that, you know, actual pathway. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you stayed there for how long? Oh, my gosh. What? On the actual pathway? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I graduated in 1998 and I completed specialist training in 2007. Wow. It's long. And you specialized in what orthodontics? I specialized in orthodontics to a consultant level. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. Why did you choose that? So, at some stage, I actually wanted to do a different specialty called maxillofacial surgery. But to do maxillofacial, you had to go back and do dentistry. You had to go back and do medicine. So that's a very long pathway. And again, the gender dynamics came into it. Mm. And what I meant by that is that at the time I was training, there were only about 11 female consultants, maxillofacial, in the whole country in the UK. Mm. And I ended up having to work for, you know, one of them. And whilst I've talked about my past and not experiencing racism, et cetera, et cetera, it was the first time that I did experience a separation in how the genders were treated. And what I mean by that is that maxillofacial deal with a lot of road traffic accidents where we need to restore people's skeleton and faces 
they deal with a lot of cancer, etc. So you were automatically part of the trauma team. Mm-hmm. And you'd have a bleep and the bleep would go off and it would say, trauma, trauma. <laughs> and what was so interesting is that when you went in with a male colleague, the information was just shared. You know, it's just like, yeah, we have a road traffic accident, approximately going at 80 miles per hour. When you went in with a female, she had to ask for every single detail. Mm. So the men discussed it as though they were at the pub, to use a very British thing, and were just conversing. Whereas with her, she had to get every information out. Now, as a group, we ended up telling her this. And I'm not sure it was the right thing to do because until we mentioned it, she didn't, she didn't feel, feel it. it. Okay. Whereas now yeah. we had we had brought it out, you know. Um, and so there were just little things like that. And as I said, you had to go back and do medicine. So that was an additional four years. Yeah. Um, so when I looked at everything, I decided, no, let me do orthodontics. It's nice. It's clean. <laughs> it's about building relationships. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I think I can do. And you did that uh, in the UK most part, right? Yes. Yes. So all of my training, I did three years to become a specialist. And then at that stage, I decided that I wanted to focus on cleft lip and palate care mm. and, and, you know, people who had facial, you know, deformities and syndromes, etc. So I did a further two years um, at a very, very high level and became a consultant in 2007. So you had life figured out. Everything was fine in the UK. Yeah. Right? You are okay. Yeah, yeah. Then you said, okay, let me go back to Ghana. I had an early midlife crisis. <laughs> who, w- who, which man was responsible no, for that? <laughs> no, no, no. You know, I did we bring, did, did the man bring the, the, the whole crisis? No, okay. not at all. Thank and God. No, not at all. <laughs> and, and that year was just so odd because I, I, you know, I was doing a lot of lecturing. So I, you know, I was lecturing. I had become a consultant. I had the perfect setup in terms of accommodation, etc. And I woke up one day and there was this feeling that this is it. Just like that. This is it. And that for the next 10 years, unless my next aim was to become the president of the British Orthodontic Society, I had reached really where I was, I was going to reach. And I was like, oh. And I'm only 32. And what next? So I I distinctly remember waking up, walking from my bedroom to the kitchen and literally going, and then deciding, no, there has to be something else. And that something else at that stage was actually, I spent a lot of time in boarding school. We're, We're quite a close family, but let me go and spend time with my parents. Okay. And let me go and spend time with them and enjoy them before they become old and, you know, and you go into a, like, care, you know, mindset. Let me just go and live with them. Wow. And that's how, you know, the, like, whole thing about... And at that point, they had moved back to Ghana. Yes. So they had moved back to Ghana. My, my younger sister was here, but my two other siblings were living elsewhere. And so it was, okay, let me, let me come back. But it was too big a decision to make. 
So the way my brain dealt with it, and actually all of my friends, was to call it my African adventure. <laughs> so I was going to come back for five years. Okay. And I was going to come back and I was going to live the African dream and discover myself again for five years. And then at the end of the five years, I would decide what I wanted to do. And that was the plan? That was the plan. Yeah. I see. Okay, so now you're back in a system that you're not so familiar with. Yeah, so um, yeah, so that was the plan, but it didn't quite work that way because I found it very, very difficult to find the right job in the right setting. Here in Ghana? Here in Ghana, yes. So when you say you know, the right job, you just mean, you know, the job that can pay you as much? No, it, it, it wasn't so much about pay. It was about the conditions that I wanted to work in. You know, um, look, I this relentless pursuit of excellence, you know, um, I'm a good clinician, but what I'm very passionate and I'm very clear about is that I'm a teacher. Okay. And I had done so much teaching, et cetera, et cetera. So I really wanted something to home those two things, you know, together. And I was just struggling to find the right mix. So again at a dinner table after another interview that had not gone quite to plan my dad you know my parents said why don't you just do something of your own because okay. you're searching and searching and you're not finding it yeah. so why don't you just do something and so i was like oh okay yeah i'm shaking my head because i had no idea such naivety <laughs> Because then I decided, you know, there was this thing of, let me find a place and renovate it. Next thing I knew, I was building. I was building. I wasn't even in Ghana. And, you know, my mom was just working on this build, you know. Wow. And what I thought would take 12 to 15 months ended up taking like three, three and a half years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> so um, it took a lot longer. And... Every t and everybody who has built in Ghana must have this experience. You have this image and you come and it's always 10 times bigger than you imagined. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what it is with architects and contractors, but whatever you do, it's always... And even I remember coming to the place and thinking, oh, this is a big place. <laughs> you know? um, but yes, a very, very interesting experience because... I was now coming back. I don't really have a good solid command of any local language. Okay. I'm doing a lot better now. <laughs> um, I don't have that many childhood friends, etc. Yeah. Um, I knew like two, you know, other dentists, and I was going to come and I was going to do this thing. Wow! Yeah, looks like the perfect adventure, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, real, real, real adventure and almost good that I wasn't having other influences because I feel like I would have compromised or not have gone and been totally and utterly true to what I actually wanted to do because I think that um, people would have put fear into me whereas I was naive enough not to have any fear. Yeah. So I would dream it and I'll say, okay, let's do ABCD. Yeah. Yeah. 
What were the challenges in the beginning when you decided to set it up? So the first challenge, like every business person, is financing. Okay. You know, raising the money. Um, I do have to say thank you, EcoBank. So, and and again, (laughs) this is where you talk about naivety and passion. You know, I remember I had a PowerPoint presentation and I went to all the banks (laughs) and I presented to the banks and I had no idea that in this part of the world, people do not lend to startups. I had no idea. <laughs> so I went and presented with gusto. <laughs> you know? And it is things like that. You know? and Do you recall any reaction or any kind of feedback that was quite, you know, so, monumental? <laughs> so I think that there were, there were two, and please hear me out on this. I'm not going to name the bank, but there was a particular bank I went to and I did my presentation. And there was an elderly gentleman, so he must have been, you know, early 60s or, you know, so. And he looked at me and he asked me, where are the men in this project? Oh, wow. And when he asked me that all my independence and feminism... Just all gushed out. (laughs) But when I looked at him, I realized that no, He was really looking at me as though I was his daughter Mm. and I was going to make the most monumental mistake. So it it wasn't being done with malice aforethought. Okay. I remember looking at him and everything that was going to come out, I swallowed and I thought, oh, wow, should I be scared? You Mm. know, and he was genuinely concerned. Mm. So I definitely remember that one. And then I... I, 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 I also remember, you know, um, just having to explain to people what the vision was and them looking at me like, mm, mm. <laughs> but I think that in the end, I hope they took a risk due to passion okay. and they realized that I was going to keep going on and on and yeah. on. Um, until it actually happened. And that was actually uh, EcoBank that took the chance. And that was actually EcoBank, which yeah. um, took the chance, yeah. What do you think sold it for them? Um, I think that they believed in me. Um, I think that especially two of the people on that, you know, um, actual, you know, um, group, had started to see what was in dentistry and felt that it was possible. And I think they knew that I, I, I would definitely do it. It was just a matter of time. Yeah. And, and them, you know, lowering me the money would shorten the, the, the actual period. The, the actual period. Yeah. yeah. I see. Yeah. Well, there are lots of messages coming through uh, on uh, a platform. I'll read some for you. Mm-hmm. I got a message from uh, Philip in North Ligon. He says, I can't stop listening to this amazing woman. She's indeed a fulfilled person. Dr. Navishia Kusu, uh, keep doing the good work for Mother Ghana. Thank you. All right. And Efua from East Ligon. Uh, yes, Efua says, Dr. Navishia is a true professional. She's passionate and loves her job. Her smile and jokes are also welcoming and makes you feel at home. It rubbed on the staff as well. They're all nice. The place is so serene and neat. She makes me feel I should become a dentist. I should have become a dentist. Platinum Dental has uh, become my clinic of choice for my regular dental visits. 
after I completed my treatment with them. Oh, that's that's really cool. You can also hit us up on 055-1111-997. So it's been uh, 10 years since you yes. actually put it together. Yes. From your typical teacher, cum, technical person, uh, you know, persona. Now you had to add the role of being a manager and a leader of a team as well. How did you navigate that? It didn't come easy or natural to me. Um, I think every, every every business person in in Ghana has experienced HR issues. In in, in fact, I I remember having a fraudulent check. Mm. You know, and two, you know, fraudulent checks had gone through, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I called my mentor, and I'll talk about mentorship in, in, a while, in a minute. And they said, oh, congratulations. Now you're a true business person in Ghana. <laughs> <laughs> you know? it, it felt as though there were these rites of passage yeah. that, that <laughs> we actually had to go through. So I think that the... The first thing for me and how I did it was through mentors. Okay. So I, I have a, I had and I still have a plethora of mentors. So I have clinical mentors. I have dentistry mentors. Mm. I have African business mentors, <laughs> etc. And I get all their ideas and mm. then forge, you know, my 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 actual way through. So the biggest thing was the change from being a clinician to being a manager mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and i remember my my um, mentor um mr thompson saying to me so i want you to report to me every month on chair occupancy <laughs> now you, you you really have to imagine that when i was going to open the clinic i had only ever been salaried yeah and even as i got into the car my mom said do you even have a money box? <laughs> Do you have a receipt book? You know, and now he was telling me to report on chair, you know, occupancy, etc. And some of you may know my sister, Media Kutu, who right. was the MD of Unilever. Right. Yeah. And I was talking to her about marketing and how to, you know, and she said, so you guys, you don't think about marketing. <laughs> you, you just go and sit in the clinic and pray that people are going to turn up. <laughs> you know? So um, I had to really, really realize that being a great clinician was great for my patients, but it wasn't great for my business. Yeah. And I had to actively go and learn about business. You know, so I took courses, etc. I even started, I didn't complete, but I did start, you know, Stanford Seed. Oh, dear. Um, I got myself into the, you know, business, you know, communities and had to really, really think in, in, in a very different way. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it paid off, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. I'm still learning. Mm. So whilst I feel I'm a natural teacher, I don't think I'm a natural manager. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely learning. What's the biggest lesson this journey has taught you? Trust your instincts. You know. You know. And actually, the more time you spend in a particular field the more you need to trust that gut instinct. Mm. So everything from appointments, you know, in terms of you are, you are looking for a marketer. Yeah, yeah, you know, you are, you, are, you are looking for your next dentist. 
and you and you are interviewing and you're not finding the right person there's a reason why you're not finding the right person so that thing about trusting your gut instinct is 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 really really important but the other side which sounds really flippant is take the risk Mm. you're not gonna die (laughs) take the risk (laughs) you know be willing to jump and 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 you know take the risk otherwise you end up being stuck right right generally in life was this advice actually or this these lessons you learned was it uh, dentistry specific or this was a general advice that you would want to give i think that it's a general advice Mm. you know but one of the things that i don't understand especially in the world that we we am we am living is why we don't make more use of information you know we have these amazingly powerful devices in our hands Mm. and they have everything so all of my staff will tell you that before they can come to me with anything the first thing i'm going to ask them is have you done any research? <laughs> Have you Googled it? <laughs> Have you da 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 da? Um, because everything is out there. Yeah. And I distinctly remember COVID. I distinctly remember COVID, you know. The whole thing started in Ghana. And whether I liked it or not, I walked into my waiting room and I thought, all these schools that had shut down, because we knew how it came. All the schools that had shut down, I walked into my waiting room and a lot of them were in my reception. Mm. And I thought, so if the schools decided to shut down, why are you still opened? And I called my leadership team and we took the decision to close. And we were the first dental practice to close. And four or five days later, Ghana Health Service mandated all dentists to wow. basically shut down. So... I definitely, you know, um, remember that and having to make that, like, you know, decision. Yeah. And then the other thing, you know, COVID actually taught a lot of lessons. Mm-hmm. The other thing is the importance and the strength of your team. And all of a sudden, you know, we have amazing grass, but the grass needs to be watered. <laughs> and I had my dentist watering the grass. And when I say I had, they went and did it on their own volition. It's not that I actually asked for it, yeah. you know. And now you were really working as a team. Yeah. Before that, we were literally independent people. Yeah. But now we were, we were working as a team. We had each other's back, you know. Every, and, you know, we had all the protocols. But the reason I was mentioning COVID is that there was so much information. Yeah through social media on mm-hmm. all the dental platforms and we really really harness that mm. really really harness that did it affect you seeing as dental well dentistry is very close to aerosols and and the whole covid spread and whatnot i mean i was just thinking about it how are you guys going to operate yeah we're wearing masks <laughs> well you can't even call them masks they were <laughs> like you know um i think that um we did it we really harnessed international you know thing and we got through it as as a team and it made the team extremely strong and for me that was a real turning point that instead of having individuals we had a collective team that were working together you know Mm. you know towards something what's your biggest regret so i'm going to tell you a funny story about covid and then i'll move on 
so COVID, with the borders being locked down, the other thing that I do is facial aesthetics. Okay. So Botox and dermophilus. And all of a sudden, we're getting phone calls. Now, Ghana is very interesting because there are a lot of men, a lot of old men, huh? doing Botox and dermophilus. You're kidding. But they tend to go to Atlanta and Geneva. And da, 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 da. <laughs> now that they were locked in the country, you'd, you'd get a call saying, can I have a confidential service? My face is falling apart. <laughs> My face <Wow>. is falling apart. <laughs> I see. So COVID flashed out all of these people who, who, who needed our services. Let's, 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 let's put it that way. <laughs> it was crazy. That's a revelation, yeah, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Really, really interesting. Wow. Yeah, really, really interesting. I see. You are telling us about your biggest regret. My biggest regret... I think my my biggest regret will be sometimes not being bold enough. I I I shy away from controversy. Mm. Um I tend to be emotional about certain things, you know, until one of my mentors again said to me if there's a ripe mango on a tree, even schoolboys walking past will throw a mango at it. So every time, you know, people say something, da, 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 then I tend to go, you know, inward. And it takes me a while before I actually come, you know, right. outwards. Yeah. What's your happiest memory or happiest moment? Proudest achievements, maybe. So really... Um, proudest achievement for me is and when I feel like I did what I set out to do is when I'm sitting with my parents having a glass of wine <laughs> <laughs> and spending that time and um, I think that for me the experiences with people far outweigh you know anything else right anything else if you had to advise any young person who's, who looks up to you, what would you tell them? <laughs> I'll say to them, it's fun, but it's hard work. Um, and what I say to all of my staff is that wherever you find yourself, whatever you're doing, look, at some stage, I was, I was selling windows on the phone wherever you find yourself, whatever you're doing, do it to the best of your ability. Do it to the best of your ability because that is going to grow something in you. And interestingly, you don't realize the skills that you're actually learning. So whatever you are, if you've decided that you're going to be there even for a month, six months, do the best that you can do. My one ism is that I struggle with people who don't want to grow. Mm. So when people are I'm happy, you can be happy and still want to grow. But when people become static and they don't want to grow and they don't want to take that next step, they don't want to pursue that excellence. And that pursuit of excellence, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. Mm. Then I don't know what to do with them. And you have pursued excellence, and today we celebrate you. 
You've Thank done you. well. Thank you. Thank you so, you so much. much. I've enjoyed